what, what I want to do as we uh, kick off our sermon today is for those of you who have not been a part of our Thursday service, we do something at the end of our service called text in questions. And so if you want to text in a question uh, related to what's going on or related to the sermon, Tyler and I are going to take just a few moments at the very end of our service to try to answer a couple of those things. And those that we can't get to, we're going to try to follow up with later. It's just another way to engage as we continue our, and are allowed to do this on a regular basis live. And so be, you'll see the number on the screen. And again, just text that as questions come to your mind. Uh, just so you know, we are practicing all the social distancing, you know, here at the church, uh, talking to our government officials and making sure that we are as, as, as lean as we can be when it comes to providing this for you as well. Now, we are in a series called The Passion. The Passion is based on Jesus' life and what he went through on the cross, specifically that last you know, few hours of his life. But also we're specifically looking at the seven sayings that Jesus said from the cross. And it is incredible to me that the thing that we talked about last week and this week and in the coming weeks aligns with what we're going through in our real lives. It's funny, it's almost like God knew that we would need this message of challenge and message of encouragement. Now, as we start, uh, let me start by asking this question. Have you ever been around a difficult child? Ever been around a challenging child? Uh, now, for those of you uh, kids or teenagers who are watching online now, you might be wondering, well, Dan, I, I'm not, but I'm around a challenging sibling or a challenging parent. And so it's interesting as we kind of get closer in proximity and relationally with our family, there's going to be some bumps, there's going to be some tension. But I want us to go back to the idea of a challenging child. You see, if you are a futurist or a glass is half a full kind of person, then some of the challenges uh, that a child brings in your life, you actually see them as a potential positive for the future in their life. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, when a child is super stubborn, right? They're strong-willed. Uh, you might say, as a glass-half-full kind of person, a futurist, well, hey, maybe there's hope that this child will become a leader someday. So you see a challenge, but yet you're seeing what they could potentially become. You've said that, or you've heard others say that as well. Or, or maybe you're cleaning your walls for the sixth time, trying to get rid of the pens and the crayons and the markers. But you're beginning to think, well, you know, my child is very creative, and I wonder how they're going to use that as they get older. Or maybe that child that brings home every stray cat, dog, bird, butterfly, or possum, and they want to keep it. Now, as frustrating or challenging as that can be with that child, Install Elzu allows you to be able to say, man, my child cares for all living things. I know I got a child in my house who really, really loves animals. Or, or that child, you know, who gets you involved in a parent-teacher or principal-parent conversation. Or you get called into the principal's office because you find out that your child has bought candy bars and monster drinks, and they've been upselling them to their classmates in order to make a profit. And although they shouldn't be doing that, you think in the back of your mind, man, that child has a great uh, potential to be an entrepreneur, to be in the marketplace, to be a, a businessman or woman. And so you can recognize that in the midst of challenges, there's opportunities, there's a positive way to be able to look at that. Now, I tell you this at different ages and stages because, and maybe you've never thought about this, it's going to sound a little funny, but Jesus was probably, no, I'm going to say more than that. Jesus was a challenging child to raise. Jesus was a challenging child to raise. There's not one time that it says that Jesus was easy to raise. Now, 
some of us, let's be honest, have probably thought about Jesus, and we thought, well, wait, well, Jesus was perfect. And so he was probably that child that on night one, he slept eight hours from the very, very beginning. Uh, he probably got straight A's and uh, rabbi school or every table or carpentry work that he did was absolutely flawless. I mean, you think the Amish have some great stuff? Man, you should have seen Jesus in his prime. And we think that, you know, sometimes when it comes to Jesus being kind of separate then. But the Bible says that he was both God and he was both man. So I want to be clear, Jesus was not perfect in everything that he did as a child. What it does say is that Jesus never sinned. He never sinned. He never said nor did anything wrong according to God's standards or laws. Fully God, but fully man. He was tempted just in the same way that you and I are tempted and struggles with temptation, but he never gave into it. He never sinned, which means more than likely he also tripped a couple times before he was able to walk. He probably spilled his goat milk on whatever he ate for cereal in the morning. One of the good ways to say it would be Jesus most likely made mistakes that all of us make. It's not a sinful thing, but he never, ever sinned. Now, I remind you of this because so many of you are at home and you're with your kids, and I hope that even just that perspective can give you some hope and some encouragement at this time. Again, not one single time does it say that Mary had an easy time raising Jesus. Let me remind you of a couple instances. Mary was a teenager when she had Jesus. Probably was challenging for her to have to walk through that at such a young age. We also know that Jesus is very strong and independent while focused on God adolescent. One time, uh, they were in Jerusalem, and they were leaving Jerusalem, but hey, they forgot Jesus. Jesus had wandered away somewhere, and they thought, as you and I may have experienced, well, Mary, I thought you had him. Well, Joseph, I thought you had him. And they realized, wait a minute, and, and it was a couple days before they realized, wait a minute, where's Jesus? And so they raced back into Jerusalem. They looked frantically for him, and this is what we see when they find him at the temple, having religious conversations with religious leaders at the time. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, 48, it says his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search? Jesus said, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? See, Jesus wasn't sinning. He wasn't being disobedient to his parents in any way, shape, or form. I remember that when I got separated from our oldest child, Josiah, in Disneyland sometime, that was very challenging for us. Did he do anything wrong? No. Did he sin? No. But we got separated partly based on his personality to go to whatever that next adventure or that next ride was going to be. See, those of you who have children who are also grown can relate and understand the challenge of raising kids doesn't end when they leave your house as well. In fact, sometimes we don't know what or why they're doing. Imagine again being Mary as well as Jesus' siblings. In Mark 3, 21, it says, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. I mean, that must have been a challenging time trying to understand what Jesus was doing and what he was saying. Or what about this other time in Matthew or chapter 3, verse 31? Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you, Jesus replied. Well, who is my mother? 
And who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I'm going to pause right there because that's going to set the stage on what we're talking about today. Because you might be wondering, what in the world does that have to do with the passion? What does the world, does that have to do from the saints of the cross? Let me remind you again what passion, the way we're defining passion through this series is this. It's ambition that is materialized into action. So it's a feeling that brings movement as much as heart, body, soul, and mind into something as possible. So it's an emotion that's also driven into action. One of the things that we said last week is to reveal what you're most passionate about. Ask yourself, what are you most willing to suffer for? And at times like these, we're going to go through some suffering. Some of us have already and others of us will in the coming days and weeks ahead. And you begin to wonder and you begin to realize what it is that you're most passionate about through these times of suffering. The reason they call that season in Jesus' life from when he was beaten to when he was crucified, the passion, is because it proved to the world what he was most passionate about. He wasn't passionate about suffering. He was passionate about you. And he's passionate about me that he would be willing to suffer in order to connect us back to a right relationship with God. And Jesus' passion was proved not just by what he did on the cross, but also what he said on the cross, which is what I want to get to today. The third thing that Jesus said from the cross is, comes from John chapter 19, and it is verse 25. And it says, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, and so again, I wanted to talk about Mary and raising Jesus first to bring us to this point here. Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, so Jesus' aunt Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, which we know to be John, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, this should blow us away. See, God set up the family unit. He set it up to be a place of care, love, and support. But what Jesus is instituting, what he is reminding us of, is the power and opportunity to be part of the family of God. See, I don't know about you and where your family members, by blood, literally live. Mine are far away. And so how important now, especially in a time of suffering, especially in a time of loss, are we in need of other people? And Jesus, through what he said earlier when his mother and his, and, and his siblings were looking for him, reinstitutes on the cross and why we are reminded for all eternity when he says to John, here's your new mom because I'm not going to be able to care for her in the way that she needs to be cared for. And Mary, here is your new son, because I'm not going to be in proximity in the same way that we've experienced up to this point in my life. What a reminder for us during this season of suffering, during this season of isolation, that you and I can come together and we can include others to be a part of a new family, the family of God. In fact, what does this family, what does this love look like? In John chapter 13, it tells us how this family should operate. So now Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. 
love each other. Well, that's not new. Well, here's the new part. Just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my followers. It'll prove to the world. I mean, what a great reminder during this time. That it's not your knowledge that proves it. It's not your, you know, uh, a way of communicating, even through social media, that's going to prove it. The way we love one another in the ways that Jesus has loved us, even in suffering, is a great model and example for us to emulate and to follow. See, if you're part of God's family, if you're part of the VRL family, we have an opportunity in our suffering to model this for one another. But if you're not part of the family of God, if you're not a follower of Jesus quite yet, and you might be wondering, God, where are you? Or specifically, God, if you're there, why don't you show up and make yourself known? He has, and he will. And he's gonna do it through his family. He's gonna do it through his people. And you and I, who are followers of Christ, have an opportunity to shine light, to be good, loving, caring in the way that Jesus modeled, thus showing the world that we are part of his family. See, for those of you who are hurting and you have a need, we want to be a church that meets the need. And it's not just at the building, especially now more than ever. It's going to take place in other environments. In fact, there are three ways that we can not just survive or get through this season, but I believe there's an opportunity for us to thrive in this season, to do much more, to look back and say, man, this was a defining moment in the lives of those who call themselves part of the family of God. And here are three primary ways that you've heard us talk about that I want to emphasize again as part of his family. The first is to pray. To pray and to be in God's word on a regular basis. To get that feeling that can only come from him. In fact, one of the things that we started doing is that we're starting to do devotionals uh, through social media, you know, through Facebook. We're going to try to do some of the other uh, ways of social media and even on our website in the coming days and potentially weeks to come. That's at 8 a.m. that we're doing it live. It's from me, but we're going to involve some of our other pastors and even elders at this church as well. Uh, The second thing I want to encourage you is not only to pray and be in God's word on a regular basis, but know that you need other people. You need other people. And as you need other people, you need to look to the needs of other people. So not only do we need other people, but should we not just focus on ourselves, but can we look outside our immediate family, outside our situation, in our midst of suffering? Jesus could have sat there on the cross and said, nope, guys, it's about me. But he had enough of his own heart and mind to say, no, I still want to create places of opportunity and care for other people. In fact, Philippians 2, 4 says it this way, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. See, I want you to hear something clearly. It's okay to look out for your own interests. That's not, he didn't say don't look out for your own interests. He says look out for your own interests, but just don't look only out to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. Uh, One of our elders, you know, reminded me this week that when you get on a plane, uh, they always go through these instructions that if there's severe turbulence that takes place, there might be oxygen that's released. And when oxygen is released, what do they say? For those of you who have kids, those of you who have family members, those of you who are wanting to help other people, take your mask and put it on you first. Then put it on your child. Then put it on your grandparent. Then put it on those around you and help others. Why? Because you're not going to be any good to other people unless you do take care of who you are in relationship with God and other people. And so I want to encourage you to spend time 
growing, being filled. It's okay to take some time away so that you're filled so that you can be the best mom and dad and coworker and neighbor, however it's being done online or otherwise in the days and weeks to come. Take care of yourself, but don't only take care of yourself. Look out for your own, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others also. Now, people have asked, well, how can I do that corporately? Because I'm kind of in my own little place. There's three things that you can do to help other people. Right now, we're doing a food drive. And it already has begun to increase in need and opportunity as the week went on this last week. Here's what I I believe to be true. In the coming weeks, it's only going to get greater. As people begin to lose their jobs, as people begin to adjust to whatever this thing is and how long it's going to last, there's going to be opportunities to meet physical, tangible needs. So here's what we need. We need you to bring food. Sometime between 8 and 4 p.m. that you kind of do a drive-by and you kind of drop it off, still practicing social distancing, in order for us to be able to provide for the needs of those who are going to be coming, whether they're driving through or they're coming into the building, in order to be able to help them during this time. Secondly, I'm going to encourage you to reach out to your neighbors digitally and otherwise. I know in our neighborhood, we have the, uh, the Nextdoor app. And so I posted this last week. Hey, if anybody, you know, is in need in my specific area, please just let me know. My wife and I would love to pray for you. If there's things that we can help out with, just make it known. Then physically, I was talking to neighbors on my left and my right, just checking in, just asking, how are you doing? I'm asking you to do the same thing, to be able to check in, because you never know what people are going through right now and continue to do so as things continue to change in people's lives. Lastly, we're going to have benevolent opportunities. And like I said, as people begin to lose maybe some income or some resources in their lives, we as the family of God, as the family of God, whether they're in a small group or whether you're at the church or whether somebody that's in your neighborhood are going to have a chance to come alongside and meet something specifically. And so first, we're asking you to pray and be in God's word. Secondly, we're asking you to to look to the needs of others. And lastly, I want to encourage you so strongly, get into a digital small group. Now more than ever, do you need to be known and know other people? In fact, uh, as a way for some of you who may be in this community or even outside this area, right after this service, we are starting brand new digital groups. And you can go on our website. You can see the number on the screen. There's going to be opportunities for you to connect right after service for those of you who are not in one. If you've been delaying about being in one, like, oh, that's kind of weird. I'm trying to adjust to this thing. I can just tell you it is a huge need that gets met for you, and you're actually then a benefit to somebody else. There's something about getting together with eight people or 10 people or 12 people, even if you're all looking at a screen together where you're able to interact, to pray for, and to look into God's word. Now, pray, look to the needs of others, and then thirdly, get into a digital small group. For those of you who are not yet believing in Jesus Christ, who have not yet made him Lord and Savior, why not now? Why not an opportunity? Jesus on the cross is inviting you to be in relationship with him. Sometimes people think it's all about fire insurance. It's not. Fire insurance is there for sure. Going to heaven is part of it. It's a huge part of it. It gives us life eternally, but he says he wants to give life abundantly, and abundant life can only happen in the context of relationship with one another. And Jesus says he's here to provide that life for you and for me. In fact, he says it this way in John chapter 1, verse 10. But to all who believe Jesus... 
And to all who accepted Jesus, he gave them the right to become children of God. See, we're all created in the image of God, but we only become part of his family when we simply pray a prayer that says something like this. Jesus, I give you my life. Lead me, guide me, and then help me to connect with other people so I can become more like you. That's our hope, and that's our prayer for you on this day. Choose right now to become part of God's family. You can do it today. You can let somebody know online. I'm going to give you a chance. We're going to pray together. I want to give you a chance to be able to do that. Now, for those of you who are already followers of Jesus Christ, what is your next step? What is your next step to become or exemplify the family of God during this time of suffering? What will you tangibly do this week or even today? There are opportunities that are right before us. Don't go inward only. Begin to look outward as we model what Jesus institutionalized for us and modeled for us on that cross. When he started this thing off and he was on the cross and he said, Mary, this is your son. John, this is now your mother. And from that point on, the family of God was birthed and you and I are recipients of that and we can invite others to that as well. That's my hope and that's my prayer for us this week. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for our time together. And I do pray that if there's anybody out there who has not yet received you, that this would be the moment that you'd simply pray wherever you're at, Jesus, I give you my life. And that you would have the courage to make that known. Father, for the rest of us, bring to our hearts and minds someone, some people that we can connect with either as family or invite them to this family, the family of God. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.